Press podcast. In episode four, we're joined by Gordon Lafer, author of The One Percent Solution How Corporations Are Remaking America One State at a Time. Gordon is professor at the Labor Education and Research Center at the University of Oregon. If you'd like to be entered into a draw to win a copy of The One Percent Solution, tweet enter me and include the hashtag Lafer Podcast. L A F E R P O D C A. ST. Welcome, Gordon. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, your book is is looking at uh, the one percent solution, as you call it. But what what is that? Can you explain it to us? Well, what the book really looks at is trying to understand what is the agenda of the biggest and most powerful people shaping American laws, which are the big corporate lobbies, the Chamber of Commerce, the Association of Manufacturers and the other big business lobbies. And I think over the past five years, what I've seen is them trying to fundamentally reshape both what citizens get from their government, what workers get from their employers, and what the shape of economic power is in America. So how, how do, you know, sort of the average guy on the street, if like, how, how do we interact with these corporate lobbies? Do we, do we know that we are? Is there a you know, is there a, just a day-to-day interaction that we have, or is it above and beyond us? You know, most people are bored to death by state politics, <laughs> and I understand that. And it turns out that while we're being bored to death, they're remaking a lot of things in our lives. But I think, overwhelmingly, people have no ideas going on until you run into it in your own life. So these lobbies are cutting minimum wages, doing away with the right to paid sick leave, cutting the wages of of waiters and waitresses or even their ability to keep the tips that they earn, making it harder to get unemployment insurance, cutting budgets for public services that a lot of people rely on, like public schools, public transit, public health care. Nobody, this doesn't affect you until it, it happens in your life. Even when it happens in your life, almost nobody knows where it comes from. It just feels like a fact of nature. But in fact, in all 50 states, there's a concerted effort to rewrite these laws, and that effort comes from the big corporate lobbies. So this is, I mean, this is pretty pervasive by what you're saying. So, I mean, really, we should all be pretty scared by this. Is that, is that you know, your take on it? Well, I find it scary. And, you know, I, I had thought I was already at, like, a 10 on the citizen scale when I started this project and then found things that surprised even me. I mean, the, at the state level... The way the corporate lobbies work is coordinated primarily through something called the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. And in ALEC are several hundred of the biggest corporations that everybody knows. I mean, it's GM, Ford, Home Depot, McDonald's, Amazon, Facebook, uh, a lot of companies that we all use. Um, about a quarter of American state legislators are members of ALEC. They pay just 50 bucks a year in dues. The rest of the, of the expenses are paid by these corporations. They meet several times a year in nice resorts where they sit in committees that are made up half of elected state legislators and half of corporate lobbyists, and they write bills together. All those bills have to be approved by a corporate board, and then they're introduced in state after state in cookie-cutter fashion. And then the same companies that write the laws 
fund those politicians' campaigns, spend their own money on political ads on radio, TV, or internet, and pay people to be experts, you know, talking heads on TV or writing white papers to support their policies. So it's a very well-funded, very aggressive 50-state campaign to remake the American economy. And as you said, it's something that is invisible to almost all of us, but that is affecting almost every aspect of our economic lives. So this is, uh, this is you know, very much a state-level thing. Does it translate to the federal level, or is, is, it, is it literally on the state level only, or maybe even smaller, lower level than that, uh, you know, county? Well, I think that, you know, when we think about what should we expect from the current government in Washington, D.C., which is less about Donald Trump as president than about who's in the Congress and the Senate. The people in the Congress and the Senate overwhelmingly are supported by and and um, have allegiance to the same corporate lobbies that are active at the state level. So we should expect them trying to pass the same kind of laws at the federal government that we've seen for the last five or ten years in the states. But they have much more power at the state level, partly because nobody else is paying attention. I mean, less than a quarter of Americans know who their state legislator is, and when nobody's paying attention, moneyed interests have a much freer hand. And in, in state politics, money goes much further. The Citizens United case in 2010, when the Supreme Court allowed corporations to spend unlimited money on politics, marked a sea change in state politics, although most people just, if they think about politics at all, think about Washington, D.C. But corporate spending on politics increased by 600%, by six times since 2010. And in most states, a state legislative race can be bought for 50000 bucks or 100000 bucks. So the corporate lobbies have great power there. And while Congress usually only passes two or three significant laws in a single session, there are thousands of laws passed in the states. So the American Legislative Exchange Council, all those corporations, they estimate that 200 bills a year that corporate lobbies have written are passed in the state legislatures. So the, while the federal government has been deadlocked, the corporate lobbies have been moving their agenda through the states. So, you know, you said there that there was a 600% increase in the last, what, seven years or so. Is that because uh, these corporate lobbyists uh, saw a loophole that, that hadn't previously been seen? Or, I mean, you know, what was the change? Yeah, the change was the Supreme Court decision in January of 2010. I mean, corporations were already very politically powerful before then, and much more money than the labor movement. But, you know, the, the, the Citizens United decision, in theory, said that both labor unions and corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money on politics. But I don't know of any union that was sitting on a pile of cash just waiting for legal okay to be put into politics. But corporations were. And obviously, the, the resource bases are wildly different. In just the Fortune 500 companies alone, their revenue is 350 times greater than all the dues collected by all the unions in America per year. So corporations always spend more than unions, but much, much more that was exaggerated after Citizens United. Hmm. So I think, you know, at least in my mind, uh, and maybe incorrectly, I tie very closely um, big corporate business to the Republican side of, of politics and maybe uh, labor and trade unions to the Democrat side of Democratic side of, of uh, politics. Is that fair? I, I mean, is the, is the split, uh, you know, that's that obvious? And is, is it more uh, effective now that there is a Republican government in, in D.C.? 
So it is. It does mostly work the way you said. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the things that is so important is to look behind the politicians themselves, and even behind the parties to see what is the real power that is passing laws in America. And the corporate lobbies mostly work through the Republican Party, but not necessarily. They're not. You know, as sometimes they used to be described as well. You look at the Republican Party, and one component of it is corporate America. They're not a component of the Republican Party. The corporate lobby's budgets are bigger than either the Republican or Democratic Party. Sometimes the corporate agenda crosses party lines, as for instance, in privatization of schooling, where there's a, a huge amount of money to be made from privatization of public schools. And you see Democratic money on Wall Street and in the technology industry, excuse me, very much aligned with the, with corporate lobbies. They usually support different candidates, but on that issue, they work together. So I think that to the corporate lobbies, they usually get their work done through Republican politicians, but to them, it's really a question of using who they can use. They're not partisans of a given party. Um, But we do see this at the state level. In the right after Citizens United, a couple of months after that decision was made, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and some other people got together a program that they called Project Red Map, which was an attempt to sweep Republican control of state legislatures in 2010, which was the first election after Citizens United, and was also an election that was going to redraw the district lines based on the 2010 census. And in that election, 11 states that had previously been either mixed Democratic, Republican, or controlled by Democrats became entirely Republican controlled. Since then, one of the places where you see how corporate power is at its peak at the state legislature is that you have a lot of states that in presidential elections are toss-ups because the population is evenly split between Democrats and Republicans, but whose state legislature is hard right-wing. That's true in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, even in Florida. These kind of classic uh, purple states in federal elections are very hard right in the state legislature, and that's mostly Republican, and that's because of the power of money of the corporate lobbies. Hmm. So, you know, the... This is obviously a lot to think about, and if people are listening and, and taking a, uh, a newfound interest because they weren't aware before, what can a concerned citizen do? Well, one thing I would say is um, the ability to redraw legislative districts, both congressional districts and state districts, is very, very powerful, and the districts are highly gerrymandered now. The next legislators that are going to redraw the districts are the ones elected in the fall of 2020. So I would say if if people can't bear to pay attention to state politics, if you could just wake up for one minute in November of 2020 and vote and then you can go back to sleep again, things will be a little better. But the, the other grounds that is I see hopeful grounds on is that with all the power and money of the corporate lobbies, they have not been able to convince people that their ideas are good ideas. So people vote for candidates for all kinds of reasons, but on an issue-by-issue basis, the corporate lobby is actually quite unpopular among voters of both parties. A majority of both Republicans and Democrats support a higher minimum wage, support a right to paid sick leave, support fair scheduling, support smaller class size in schools and higher trained teachers, support a right to health care. And when people have a chance to vote on these by issue, like in ballot initiatives, we see that. So for instance, last fall in Arizona, a very conservative state, Arizona voted for Trump over Clinton, but by a much wider margin, voted to raise the state's minimum wage and create a right to paid sick leave, which means several hundred thousand people both voted for Donald Trump 
and voted to raise the minimum wage and create a right to paid sick leave. And I think when we think about how to make the economy fairer, we need to look to issues like that, where when we can organize on issues instead of around candidates, there's broad support for creating a more just economy. Well, it gives us hope, uh, or at least something to uh, to hold on to and to try and uh, uh, join together if, if for those people who are you know, certainly against. And I think, like you said, most people probably are against these things. So, yeah, that's a, at least a positive to, um, to come to an end on. So I really appreciate you joining us today, Gordon, and uh, we'll uh, keep an eye on 2020, if not many years before that. Thanks very much. Take care. That was Gordon Lather author of The 1% Solution. Gordon's book is available from Cornell University Press. Visit cornellpress.cornell.edu or your favorite bookseller to order a copy. You've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast.